Every who down in Whoville liked Christmas a lot. But the Grinch, who lived just north of Whoville, did not. The Grinch hated Christmas the whole Christmas season. Oh, please don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. It could be perhaps that his shoes were too tight. It could be his head wasn't screwed on just right. But I think that the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. But whatever the reason, his heart or his shoes, he stood there on Christmas Eve, hating the who. Back to the bin. Christmas. Welcome to the annual Christmas episode of Back to the Bins. I am one of your hosts, Paul Spataro. I am here with two humbugs today, Scott Humbug Gardner. <laughs> How's it going? It's going all right. And Bill, Dr. Bill Humbug Robinson. Hello, I am the Biltron 9000. I love Christmas. <laughs> now, for anybody who's tuning in right now... <laughs> Uh, let me just tell you what just happened. We we just recorded about 25 minutes of the show, and these two guys are so down right now that I made us start it over again because they're just depressing the heck out of me because neither one of these guys is looking forward to Christmas. I didn't say I wasn't looking forward to it. I just I just haven't caught you, you the did, spirit yet this looking season. Forward well, to hold on, wait, 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 back up here for a second. You didn't say you're look, not looking forward to it. You said, uh, I think I'll just work because I don't want to deal with it. <laughs> I think that's not looking forward to it. Yeah, Scott, I didn't get to invite you over so you and I could get drunk on Christmas. I'd be down for that. There you go. Now on Christmas, they'll be happy boys. You get them. <laughs> you, you buy a four-pack of Mike's Hard Lemonade, and the two of them will be drunk out of their minds. And we'll, oh. watch, and, and we'll watch Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And do a new commentary. There you go. <laughs> Merry Christmas. My wife and I were shopping in Target the other day, and this year they have those little, you know, those little, like, I don't know what you would call them. They're little stuffed, like, beanie baby size little stuffed animals that you see. Mm-hmm. You know, the Target always has that section of, like, five and under shit, you know, for, you know, mm-hmm. like, stocking stuffers and stuff. Well, this year they have um, little beanie baby size stuffed animals of the characters from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. 
And so she's digging through it. And I'm like, oh my God, tell me there's a Yukon. Tell me there's a Yukon. She found a Yukon. And I was like, oh, I want, I, want, I just want this just to, just to post on Facebook. You have a gun. <laughs> just to see who remembers our Christmas commentary that we, you know, our Rudolph commentary that we did way back when. But she oh, was yeah. going to buy it for me, but I'm like, eh, that's a waste of six bucks. What am I going to, it's going to get thrown in the closet and I'll never see it again. So I, I made her not get it for me, but the f- it was cool. I love Yukon. The first I actually time have I- a table in my dining room, that, not the not the dining room table, the hutch. Uh, on top of that, at Christmas, there's all Rudolph figures on it. Mm. <laughs> the first time I listened to that, uh, the commentary you guys did, I I was tr- I was shaving just by chance, and I almost slit my throat because <laughs> I started laughing with the razor. I'm like, ah! I was like, I Jesus, you guys are trying to kill me. I know I listened to it, but it's so long ago I don't remember. Did you discuss how much of a prick Santa was in it? Oh, yes. At length. Yeah, yeah. Santa's such an asshole in that one. Yeah, he really is. We, oh, uh, Donner, I don't know why you didn't tell us. We're not going to let him play reindeer games. We're going to have to put him down. Santa, how about I kick I him dig ass? that out and listen to house. it. my <laughs> house. I, I dig that out and listen to it every Christmas, but I think last Christmas was the first Christmas I ever dug it out. And played it the way that we've always intended all of our commentaries to be, which is you put the movie on and then play the commentary. And Logan and I did that last Christmas, and we were just rolling. Because, you know, not to brag, because I was one of the voices on the commentaries, me and Chris Honeywell, but, I mean, it is laugh-out-loud friggin' hysterical. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go back in Two True Freaks history Look, uh, I'm pretty sure it was done as a commentary monthly Monday, more than likely, or e- either that or a Christmas special. I forget. I but think you it was uh, it. make it easy for everybody. I, I I probably well, Chris, either Chris or I usually do end up reposting the holiday episodes, but that one is a bona fide Christmas classic because it's just it's all kinds of wrong and it's all kinds of funny, but. The, the biggest jokes in there to me are, you know, there's the ongoing gag about what a dick Santa is. There's the ongoing gag about the fact that um, the coach and I think a couple other characters are actually voiced by the guy that was Jonah Jameson on the old Spider-Man 60s cartoon. Yeah. Like every time he comes on the screen, every single time, you, you could make a drinking game out of it because every time he comes on the screen, I go... Parker, give me some pictures. You know. <laughs> so I mean, we're just making. But but my favorite gag of all through the whole thing is, you know, every time Yukon's in danger and runs away like a big wuss, I'm like, you have a gun, because it's one of those things I noticed right from when I was a kid. There's the one part where they're they're all scared for their lives. They're at the edge of the cliff, thinking they're gonna die. And I remember as as a teeny tiny little guy looking at him going. Wait a minute, he has a six-shooter right there on his hip, but he never uses it, you know? Not only and would they so, not be in danger, but they could have Bumble Burgers for the next six months. Right. <laughs> Santa well, could get fat again. Well, plus he's got a pickaxe, and doesn't he have, like, a whip or something, too? Yeah. yeah, I think <laughs> He's fully yeah. loaded to bear. He is. He's like Indiana Jones, man, but he's, for some reason he always runs away. And he's, he's more relatable because he's like fat Indiana Jones, so he makes me feel like, oh, I could be like that. <laughs> yeah, he is. He's like he's like mold, uh, like like Sala and Indy together. And there you go. You got Yukon Cornelius. <laughs> Call him Cindy. Oh, wait. <laughs> what? <laughs> and just one of, one of my Christmas pet peeves is I love the Boris Karloff version of How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Right. I hate the Jim Carrey version. 
Oh, dude, I've never actually watched it, but it was on in the break room the other day at work, and I'm just like, who put this abomination on? It's it's horrible. Every time, like I said, I've never watched the movie in total, but I've watched like snippets of it, and every time I've watched it, every scene I've watched, I'm like, this is awful. It but is. People it is. Love it's it. terrible. There are I know. They're the I don't ones understand. that think it's awesome. And you know what's really sad is, if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure that movie is directed by... Um, Ronnie Howard, isn't it? I think I it is. So, yeah, yeah. That's that's sad. What a waste I, I, of time. I, you know, I, I don't get passionate about too much when it comes to pop culture. You know, somebody doesn't like something I like, that's fine. Somebody does like something I don't like, that's fine. But that movie was on last week, and I said, "Oh, this thing sucks!" And everybody got so mad at me that I had to like defend myself. I was like, "No, it does suck, man!" <laughs> like I ended up getting into fights over it. So you became me for a minute. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> No, I got your back on that one. That one's... It's a piece of shit. It really is. It's terrible. And confirmed. Directed by Ron Howard. Oh, sad. And you know, I think it has a score by by, uh, James Horner, too, if I'm not mistaken. So, I mean, it's got a decent pedigree as far as that goes. Well, it was in in the stage when Jim Carrey was acting like Robin Williams... Right, you know, he would he would just try and improvise everything, and they would just let him go wild, and he wasn't just wasn't funny enough to carry it. Sometimes, well, the there were a couple prob- of movies I thought he did well with, not this one. Well, the problem is, is that there's too many movies that are just like that one, where you take something that was intended as like a like a like a little kid's short story, or you know, that was a brief cartoon. Can you see me? I mean, altogether, the the Grinch, uh, how the Grinch stole Christmas. You know, if you take all the commercials out of it and everything, you, if you just ever watched it on, like, VHS, I don't even think it's a full 30 minutes. I think it's like something like the, 22 the, minutes or something. Yeah. Boris Karloff one? Yeah. yeah. It's a half so an then hour you're with taking commercials. That, yeah. That's what I'm saying, yeah. So, I mean, if you ever watched it, because I, I remember when it came out on VHS, and I'm pretty sure the running time on it was something like 22 minutes. That's about right. So you're taking that and then trying to blow it up into a feature film. So that's when they put all the stupid shit in it, and and, and it, they just make it dumb because they're putting, they're trying to make a bigger story out of something that really is very basic. And that was that was you know besides Jim Carrey, who I just can't stand. That was my biggest issue with that movie is that you're putting all this stupid crap into it that that Theodore Geisel never even intended it to be the story, and then that ends up changing the story. The, the other great example I can think of, do you guys ever see, um, this is probably, I don't know, between five and ten years ago, there was a live action movie, uh, feature film movie of um, Where the Wild Things Are. Did you ever see that? I did not see it. I loved that book as a kid. Yeah. Everybody and I was afraid does. to see the movie. <laughs> well, what a piece of shit. I, you know, because my kids were, were young, you know, younger when, because uh, I, I don't know if I took Scotty. I think he might have been too old, but I know we took Logan to it, thinking this is a beautiful, beloved, generational child's book. What a, what a great idea for a live action movie. And eh, no, it was a piece of crap. It was really bad. I so, can't. I can't pack you up on the review because I never saw it, but I, like I said, I loved it as a kid, and, and I, from whatever promotional things they were doing, I didn't think highly enough to take my kids to see it. So yeah. I, I, I don't really remember exactly what my thought process was, but clearly I wasn't inspired, and even when it came out on home video, I never saw it. Well, I mean, you know, all together, what is that book? Nine pages? How do you make uh, a feature film out 20. of that? You know? But, 
But it was, yeah, it was so like you say, a beloved Mr. Gardner, you really <laughs> are a heel. When I was a little kid, I must have read that book like a thousand times. Mr. But, G. So but they, they've done so that Uber. over and over again, because there's been a lot of Dr. Seuss movies that they've tried to do in the last 20 years or so, Horton uh, live Uber. action, and I don't think any of them was successful. Well, that was animated. The Horton sure. Uber nerd moment for the episode is uh, the guy that sings, or I'm sorry, doesn't sing. Yes, he does. He sings. I know, I know, I know, do, I know. Are you talking about uh, Ray, Thor, Thor Ravel, Ravenscroft? And who is he the voice of? Who is the voice of? He was great. great. Yep. Yep. He was Tony the Tiger, and you can hear him all over the Disney parks. He, he did a lot of voices for the Disney parks. When they did uh, the expansion of the Haunted Mansion Q a number of years ago, and they added all the extra stuff with the like the pipe organ. The pipe organ's actually called Ravenscroft, like a, as a brand name on the front. But that's an homage to him because he's one of the voices um, singing. Well, he's actually several voices in the thing, but he's you can place him most easily. He's one of the voices of the singing bus in the graveyard scene. But yeah, he did a lot of voices for Disney parks. There you that go. Brings, that, at least that brings it back to positives, because because the Boris Karloff Thurl Ravenscroft version of the Grinch is awesome. It's one oh of, yeah, it is. It is one of the all-time classic cartoons. Yep, and probably I, my favorite. I think that's maybe my problem this year with Christmas is I. It, it's tough for me to get in the Christmas spirit anyway. Ever since I moved to the South, Christmas. <laughs> never yeah. really feels proper to me because of, you know, and not that I miss snow, I don't, but the lack of snow always, it takes a lot more to get me into Christmas mood, if you know what I mean. Hey, Paul, but Paul, Paul. so far yeah. this Paul, year... Put, you need to put in the uh, Charlie Brown music here. <laughs> but, you know, so far this year, much like last year, you know, last year Christmas just kind of snuck up on me and then blew by me because I was busy with work and everything else, and I never got a chance to do, like, there's certain... Christmas time! Shut oh, up! <laughs> Welcome to Shut Up for Christmas. <laughs> so there's certain beats I have to hear such a dick. There's certain beats I have to hit at Christmas to make it feel like Christmas. So I have to see Hans Gruber fall off the Nakatomi Plaza. I have to see people just run down Charlie Brown's self-esteem to an abysmal level. I need to see the Grinch, you know, his heart, whatever the hell the thing was, you know, increase two sizes that day or whatever it was. You know, so there's certain things I had in a large heart and died. (laughs) It gets hardened harder. (laughs) But you know, I, I haven't I haven't seen any of that stuff so far this year because, for one thing, I'm I'm working just ridiculous. But also, every time I'm in front of the TV, it's always some stupid inane like sitcom or something. It's never like whatever happened to. Well, here's the problem: when we were kids, we were like three channels, so you couldn't avoid <laughs> Rudolph and and Charlie Brown and the Grinch. But now, well, you can find those. They're like buried on like the ABC Family, which I think was renamed something else, and like CBS, and they might roll them out one time. But you know, I mean, yeah, I was they're at, hard to find now. I was at work today and thinking, you know, I I, I miraculously got control of the remote, and I'm I thinking think I got them on DVD. <laughs> I want to put something Christmassy on. So I sat in Netflix and I punched up Rudolph, eh, not on Netflix. I punched up Charlie Brown Christmas, not on Netflix. I punched up Die Hard, not on Netflix. I'm like, 
these are the friggin' Christmas perennials. So then I put in Christmas, and it was the most just puke-worthy Christmas. I mean, it was like the Christmas. Ernest saves Christmas. Yeah, I mean, it was just small. I mean, it was like all these like Hallmark movies about Christmas that nobody would want to watch. I'm like, they wow, all start Crystal the Bernard. Man? Hey, she's hot. <laughs> <laughs> she was on wings. She was on wings, but that's twenty years ago, Bill. It's okay. It was like uh, it was like all these just really bad like lifetime movies with like Valerie Bertinelli and Bruce Boxleitner at Christmas specials. And I'm like, oh, we don't want to see Bruce shit. Boxleitner. That's nope. a, that's that's a third rail we don't want to touch on two true freaks. No. Nope. Nope. <laughs> Greetings program. Wham! Oh, sorry. Just <laughs> <laughs> Get away from me, kid. You bother me. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> uh, Where we, the we hell just, are we in this episode? Well, we're just, just discussing Christmas shows. Now, this, but it's been an interesting talk, at least, as opposed to our aborted first episode. It's not it's... as dark as the previous discussion. <laughs> not yet. The previous 25 minutes. Oh, just give it a minute. Well, do you have any, any, other, any other Christmas uh, bad wishes to give, or do you want to move on to some comics? <laughs> I think I'll segue us. So, things you don't want to see, but I'm going to tell you something that you might not want to see. No, um, comics related. So, I know, Scott, that you don't watch the CW shows, and I don't know, Paul, if you watched any of this, but they recently had the crossover for the year called Earth uh, Crisis on Earth X. Yes. Did you watch that, Paul? I have not yet watched it, but I was aware that they did it. Uh, I watched all I will four. watch it eventually. All four uh, sections, and it was good. I liked it a lot. And I think it is accessible for someone like you, Scott, that does not watch it because you can watch it just as a crossover featuring superheroes because there are scenes in it that they – that and I don't know if you'll like this or not, but they, they pay homage to certain comic covers and actual scenes from Superman 2. There's quotes that are done, and they're redone for the show. You may or may not like it. Your mileage may vary. Uh, you can catch it on the CW Seed for free. You don't, you know, you don't have to. Uh, it's online, so I'd give it a shot, Scott. Give it a Crisis shot, on, Scott. Crisis on Earth X, and they do have the Ray, you know, from the Freedom Fighters. So but there's huh. no, I, 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 I will spoil. There was no Uncle Sam. So, Aww. but it's. Uh, I think it's worth. I would give. I would give it a looksy. And like I said, you don't have to be invested in the current show and the storylines because basically they kind of blur about like you know, oh, what's been going on with you? Because the different characters from the show get together and like, oh, well, this happened and such and such happened. So you're all cut up. You know where the characters are. You may not recognize all the characters because like some of the guest appearances, but I still think you'll enjoy the story and eh, give it a shot. And yeah, Baron Blitzkrieg. Uh, no. Perdegaton? Um, no, but Perdegaton was in the uh, Legends of Tomorrow, remember? Yeah, I know. First season? Was yeah. he? Yeah. Who played him? Uh, he played himself. <laughs> Wasn't he a young Perdegaton or an old Perdegaton? I, you know, I don't remember. I, I Vandal Savage I was in it, too, the first season. Because his was memory like a, serves, didn't uh, the Kurgan play uh, Per Degaton in one of the animated series? Hmm. Hmm. Who? The, uh, what's his name? Clancy Brown? 
Yeah, the guy that plays Mr. Krabs. SpongeBob! <laughs> that guy. He was the voice of uh, Searcher in uh, that in Thor Ragnarok. In Thor, yeah. 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 thought that was kind oh, of he's, interesting. He's, he was also Lex, he was Lex Luthor in Justice League Unlimited. Yeah. Yes. Yep. yep. And yep. Superman the Animated Series. But there was there was some animated thing. I can't remember if it was Justice League or Brave and the Bold or what it was, but there was one of those that had Perdegaton in it, and I would swear that he did Perdegaton's voice. I'm pretty sure. Could be. I kind of remember Justice League Unlimited going against Perdegaton once. Yeah. Then they did with Vandal Savage, too. So I don't yeah. know. Yeah, maybe I'm crossing this stuff. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Legends streams, of Tomorrow's man. is kind of like just watching a Silver Age TV show for... Co- for comics, because they just go, they just do wacky stuff compared to the uh, other shows. Really off the wall, because you've got Rip Hunter in the first season, and, and you know. So, anyway, Crisis on Earth X. Catch it while you can. But you gotta watch. You gotta. It goes Superman, Flash, Arrow, Supergirl, Flash. Is it? Yeah. Sorry. 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 Okay. Social Justice Police. You, you got me. What are you talking about? I know. <laughs> I'm just correcting your mistake. Whatever. Oh, correct me. I'm tired. Oh, that's I'm social tired justice. Cranky. I'm not really sure. Ah, uh, I'm just tired. Uh, so yeah, um, I think it was Supergirl, then the Flash episode, and then or was it the Flash episode? Supergirl? Ah, I don't know. I'm sure it's. I'm sure it's numbered. Whatever. Uh, that makes it easy. Yeah. Well, they showed them on... They didn't show them on their normal nights. They sh- jammed them together, like, in two nights. So, whereas normally you would have watched them over, I think, a three-day period. It was only over a two-day period. So, they were done different time... Time... Uh, time, time... Time, 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 time. is a luxury... Slots! That's what I'm thinking. Slots. Think of the slots. Don't change that O to U, Okay. So anyway, moving on. Merry Christmas. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> wow. Guess what? I didn't bring a book. Moving on. I don't know. Where, I don't even know where to go from there. I don't it's even know you anymore, man. Shocker. Yeah. So. Yeah, just like Scott, I'm kind of over the Christmas season. It's just not, it's not the same. There's no snow in Florida. It's be barely perceptible changing the seasons. And like I said in the previous dark half hour prior, the people that su- that are all nice and everything that aren't nice the rest of the year, they, they know where they can go. Well, as as we record this, uh, we're scheduled to get one to three inches of snow this weekend. Snow? What's that? That's something we snort up our noses down here in Florida. Oh, wait. Sorry. I spoke too much. <laughs> <coughs> all right. So let's do a comic now because I think we're kind of stagnating here a little bit. Bill's going right. dark. Bill is going dark. Scott, you want to do yours? Or you want me to do mine? Well, let's go in chronological order. So if we're then you are that, the first one. All right. Now, before you do yours, do you know where it was originally printed? I sure do. I have all that information. Why don't you tell everyone? All right. So the book that I have chosen is Best of DC, number 22, cover dated March of 1982. It was actually on sale, according to Mike's Amazing World dot com on December 3rd, 1981. Features a gorgeous cover by uh, Rich Buckler and uh, inker Dick Giordano. 
of Superman and Batman holding a wreath, and then posed behind the wreath, you have the Teen Titans, Robin, Green Arrow, uh, Black Canary, and the star of the story that I am going to cover. So, the story that I'm going to cover is actually the third story in the book, entitled Freddie Freeman's Christmas. This, of course, Best of DC was almost always reprint stories, if I'm not mistaken, and this story originally appeared in Captain Marvel Jr. by Fawcett Comics way back in 1946, December 13th, 1946. Again, according to Mike's Amazing World, uh, was and that on answers sale. my big question about this one because yep. I was thinking, boy, this artwork looks very golden age to me. Yeah, it really does. But in a good way. I really like the, the art in this, believe it or not. I'm not usually, you know me, I've said this a million times, I'm not big on Golden Age stuff, but uh, there's something about these old Captain Marvel Jr. stories. They typically had some really nice art, and I don't think this issue's any exception. I kind of like the art in this one. Um, now, in the Best of DC reprint, there are no credits at all, and I don't know if that goes for the original book or not, but Mike's Amazing World does have some credits here. So the uh, writer is credited as William Wolfalk, or Wolfalk. I've never heard that name. I don't know any information about him. And the artist is Bud Thompson, which is a name I do think that I've heard before. Um, Bud Thompson also did the cover um, on that particular issue as well, but it doesn't really have to do any anything to do with our story or Christmas or anything, so I won't really bother to go into that. So anyway... Um, I don't have a pre-written synopsis on this. It is a very, very short story, so I'm just going to wing it on this one. So I'm going to give you the uh, the little... So the opening to this story is a, is a half-page splash of Santa's sleigh being pulled through the sky by Captain Marvel Jr. And there's a little scroll that's open that kind of sets the tone here, and it says, Merry Christmas! Days of gifts and joyality, light hearts and friendly faces, when the whole world is brightened with the cheery glow of kindness and good fellowship. Have you ever wondered what kind of a day this is for your hero, Captain Marvel Jr.? I have to admit, never gave it a thought. <laughs> he says, well, we can, only an uh, we can only give you part of the answer, for this story is chiefly concerned with, quote, Freddie Freeman's Christmas. So in other words, they ask you the question, then go, well, we're not really going to answer that question. We're going to answer the question for his secret identity. Okay, whatever. So we start our, our story here with um, a mom and her son leaving with a bunch of parcels in their hands from a department store where they see Santa. And the little kid goes, gee, mom, look. And he points up in the sky and she says, what is it, dear? And the kid is actually more taken with Captain Marvel Jr. who's streaking through the sky than he is with Santa Claus. And Right away, some of the dialogue in this struck me as unusual because she goes, why, it is he. And I'm thinking, who talks like that? Did they really talk like that in 1946? Because wouldn't you say, hey, yeah, it is him. But that's not what she says. I just think that's kind of weird. Anyway, they watch him streak through the sky, and the kid's a little bit disappointed that he didn't even get a, an autograph from Captain Marvel Jr. But Captain Marvel Jr., he's on his way home. He alights in his little crappy apartment, and says his magic word. Now, Captain Marvel Jr., as you may or may not recall, he doesn't say Shazam. He gets his powers from Shazam, but his magic word is actually Captain Marvel, meaning he's the only superhero that I know of that can't say his own name without turning into his alternate identity. So he says Captain Marvel and turns back into his secret identity, one of the worst secret identities there ever was because he's actually a crippled orphan. 
I'm sorry to laugh at so, that. He's so in his secret identity, angel. he's Tiny Tim. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So he's he's Freddie Freeman, crippled orphan, and he lives in a shithole. And he doesn't have any food or anything, and he's having a really, really crappy Christmas, even worse than Bill and I's. I feel so kind of bad. Why doesn't him. he just, like, never change back and just change exactly. his clothes? You know... You just Sorry. hit on one of the biggest mysteries I ever had when I was a kid is why in the hell would Freddie Freeman ever not be Captain Marvel Jr.? Because if I had this shitty life, yeah, I could, with with two magic words, could turn into Captain Marvel Jr.? Why, why would you ever change back? It's She-Hulk syndrome. I just don't get it. But anyway, so he's sitting around his really crappy apartment that is lit by actually a beer bottle with uh, with a candle wax sticking out of the top of it. I mean, he's really got a lousy place to live. And he's lamenting the fact that everybody loves Captain Marvel Jr., but nobody really gives a crap about crippled orphan Freddie Freeman. So about this time, this woman with an impronounceable last name shows up and asks for his help watching the orphan kids. Stalker! <coughs> Stalker. So, yeah. so later at the orphanage... He's helping out because this is really like the only crappy Christmas that he can have when he notices there's one kid that's kind of standing away from the rest of the group. So he goes over him over to him and says, you know, why so gloomy, chum, essentially? And the kid says, ah, you know, screw Christmas. You know, Santa's not coming. I don't even think he's real and everything. So Freddie feels really bad about this. And he's like, I got to convince this kid that Santa's actually a thing and that he's going to get a Christmas present and everything will be all right. So he says his magic words and he streaks off. And basically, he's about to abduct the first Santa Claus that he finds ringing a bell. And as he's streaking out of the sky to get this Santa Claus, this Santa Claus is actually being played by an an old associate or an old, I don't know, Captain Marvel Jr. describes him as his old friend. But really what it is, is it's somebody that he's busted in the past uh, named Lightfingers Louie. Well, Lightfingers Louie tries to convince Captain Marvel Jr. that, you know, he's on the level now. He's given up his life of crime, and this is the only job he could get, and uh, he doesn't want Marvel to beat the crap out of him. And he gets all lightheaded, and I'm assuming he faints, because otherwise Captain Marvel Jr. is not very smart, because he just changes right in front of the guy. But I'm assuming the guy actually passed out at some point between the panels. He, He specifically says he fainted. Oh, he does, doesn't he? Yep, he does. You're right. He fainted, so then that's when Captain Marvel Jr. Okay, makes more sense now. So he turns into Freddie Freeman. It still doesn't explain, though, why nobody ever recognizes that this is the same person. Because it's not like he wears a mask or glasses or, you know, one's a blonde and one's a brunette. He looks exactly the same. His appearance is exactly the same as both people. Oh, come on. That's easy. He's got a crutch. I guess. So anyway, because yeah, because he, he comes out and says, "No, no, that's really me," and they're like, "Yeah, yeah, cripple, get out of here." <laughs> so nobody's intimidated by Freddie Freeman. So Freddie Freeman explains to uh, Lightfingers Louis that essentially he just wants him to come and put in an appearance as Santa for the orphans. And Lightfinger Louis he thinks that's really sweet, and he says, "You know what? I'm going to do one better. I'm going to go talk to my mob buddies." And get them to donate presents. Now, this is the part of the story that really didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Because why would the mob give a crap about orphans, right? But future he, members. What's that? Future members. Future hey, that one members. guy says, I was an orphan once. Yeah, that's true. There is the, there is the one, uh, supposedly, I, I guess this must be one of the wise guys. He goes, I was an orphan once and he's crying. So, I don't know. I guess 
Lightfingers Louis tells a really good story or something. But <laughs> just, just stop on that for a second, though. He was an orphan once. So what did he get? Parents afterwards? <laughs> I got better. <laughs> no, either you were an orphan once, or you've always been an orphan, or you've been an orphan ever well, since, at least. Well, I guess once well, you, you got, become an adult, technically you're no longer an orphan because you're not a child. Or you got right? adopted. Possibly. Right? So, I yeah, I mean, I guess, I, I guess you're not an orphan. Like, I don't know. Would you be an orphan for life, or you just be... I think you're an orphan for life. You can be an I, orphan who was adopted and found a new family. I always still an orphan. I always consider an orphan a child... That has no parents until they become an adult, and then they're really they're an adult now. They're not an orphan, but well, I know we're jumping around. Well, maybe I, I should wait, but I think that red-haired kid that uh, that Freddie is ta- talking to is uh, a young predegaton. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> he does actually look like him a little bit too, doesn't he? So, um, so anyway, Louis uh, Louis doing pretty good, and he's collecting from all the different mob guys, and most of them, you know, they got a big smile on their face. They're happy to be giving him money and everything. But then he goes up to this guy named Hard John. Make your own <laughs> jokes, whatever you want to say on that. I'm what's not your, touching that one. What's your last name, John? Richard. Oh, okay. Hard John. <laughs> okay, never mind. And Hard John says, "I ain't giving them stupid orphans nothing. He's a real prick, and he just refuses to cooperate." So the other mob guys team up on him, and they give him the shakedown. They turn him upside down, and they empty wait out his Wait a minute, pockets. wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What? Minute. That panel where he says, hey, let go of me. Those guys look a little too happy, and uh, Hard John is, like, caressing that guy's face. The other guy, yeah, he looks like he's in love, the guy whose face is It's like caressed. the two guys are, like, you know, Aww. some enchanted evening. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> you will flip over a stranger. So... <laughs> shake him down, take all of his money, give it to light-fingered Louie playing Santa. and Who I must say down. looks really fat just from putting a beard on. Because that is like true. Yeah, two he's panels before, he's got like a bean pole. Now he puts a beard on, poof. <laughs> anyway. That's like me. Yeah, that's, that's a good catch. I did not catch that. You're right, too. Yeah, he does. So... Hard John, he swears revenge. He's really pissed about this whole thing. They they cleaned him out. He didn't want to give to the orphans. So later on, Har- I don't know how he gets the drop on him because in one panel he's way off in the... Anyway, he gets the drop on Lightfinger Louie. He clocks him, knocks him out, steals his Santa clothes, and then he's intent on, uh, on trading in the presents that Lightfinger Louie bought for the kids to get his money back. Well, about the time that he's going to do that, Freddie Freeman sees Santa walk out, assuming it's Louie, turns into Captain Marvel Jr., scoops him up, and is taking him to the orphanage. Well, because he's you know he's a mobster and everything, he doesn't want uh, Captain Marvel Jr. to figure it out, so he just kind of goes along with the gag. So he gets dumped off at the orphanage. The kids are all excited. He starts handing out presents, and somewhere in this process... He feels the spirit of Christmas. And there's a great little moment where he's sitting, he's got a kid in his lap, all the kids are admiring all the presents and everything, and he's thinking to himself, the poor kids, I didn't know it'd be like this. What a heel I am. And I just want to remind the audience that heel is actually French for asshole. And at this point, the kids are all playing with their toys and everything. And the I don't know if this is the same red-haired kid, but anyway, this stupid kid throws his plane out the window and then dives after it, and he's going to fall to his death. So Santa dives after him, and now they're both going to fall to their deaths. 
So Captain Marvel Jr. comes along, saves both the kids, and this is the point where uh, Captain Marvel Jr. actually finds out that Santa Claus is actually Hard John, not Lightfingered Louie like he thought, and he basically Light, begs Lightfingered Louie died Mar- of a head wound. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. They don't you tell never you that. see him again. So yeah, he's bleeding out while all this is happening. <laughs> Well, he begs uh, Captain Marvel not to turn him in. You know, he really does enjoy uh, playing Santa for the kids and everything. And basically, he, he swears to, to be better and all that. So Captain Marvel Jr., he goes off, changes back to Freddie Freeman, comes back later. And uh, and Hard John's looking all over going, uh, hey, where's Captain Marvel Jr.? Isn't he going to take me to jail? And uh, Freddie Freeman's basically like, no, you know, who would take Santa to jail on Christmas Eve? You know, don't be silly. And uh, he wants you to stay here and celebrate, basically. So the end of the story, you know, the story ends with everybody happy and celebrating Christmas. And the kids believe in Santa now. And Santa's happy. And there you go. Nice little happy Christmas tale. (laughs) It was kind of dopey. But fun. So, what did you guys think about this one? I'm hoping it cheered Bill up a little. Had you ever read this before? No. No, I didn't either. Me neither. I told uh, I stumbled by this one completely by dumb luck because I was pressed for finding a Christmas tale. So I did a search through my database for Christmas stories and came up with uh, this Best of DC 22. And I thought, hmm, I don't know that I've read all the stories in here. And I was looking through and I found Captain Marvel Jr. And he's, one, he's actually one of my favorites. I always had a soft spot. Captain Marvel Jr. and I thought, well, what the heck? I'll read it, and if it doesn't suck, I'll do that one. And I thought it was all right. I like the art. The story was kind of dopey, but I like the art a lot. Hmm. Where do I go with that? Um, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't dislike the art. And and I know what you're saying as far as Golden Age art goes. This is exceptionally good. It's got uh, like a yes. Dick Tracy feel to it. Especially with the criminals, you know, it's it really to me it's it's dependent on what standard you're going to hold it to. If you're going to hold this to the standard of the books that were coming out in what was it, 1946, right, 47, then this is exceptional. This is really solid art. If you're going to compare it to things that are coming out today, yeah, I'm not quite so crazy about it. Right, Uh, right. So you know, a lot of it depends on taking it from the era that it came out in, and, and I do agree with you. From that perspective, I mean, otherwise, the, you know, the anatomy is a little crazy. Sometimes the position, some of these bodies are in, is a little crazy. There's no background, so it's not really by today's standards what you'd want. Or it's often no background. Sometimes there are. Um, the story is, you know, it, it's it's silly Christmas stuff, which is kind of what you get: Golden Age, Silver Age, Bronze Age, Current Age. You know, that there's always silly. All the Christmas stories are usually silly. There's very few of them right. that are uh, really, you know, grounded and down to earth. So I don't have any problem with the silliness of the story. In fact, I, I think it's kind of cool, uh, you know, the, the turning the mobsters around. And it's it's certainly less silly than last year's Teen Titans uh, Christmas one that we covered. Which said that the is actually of this book. the first story in this book. Wait a minute, this is cover artists Rich Buckler and Dick Giordano and George Perry. I wonder if he did the back cover. Let's check that. Let's find out. You sound like uh, oh yeah, he did the back cover. That's pretty cool. Very yeah. interesting. 
Yeah, the back cover is. Uh... Oh, that's weird. The Sandman. So you got Superman. They're all ornaments. So there's a Superman ornament. You got Batman and Robin in one. Green Lantern, Black Canary, Captain Marvel Jr. You got Wonder Girl has her own Kid Flash and Aqualad together. And then you've got the Sandman, the Kirby Sandman with that goofy red helmet thing. Mm. Who did the back cover? George Perez. Really? So this is exclusive. Never before, uh, never before published Jack Kirby story. Hmm. You might want to put that on your front cover. So picking up from your last comment, the very first story in this book is that one that you just mentioned, the the swinging Christmas Carol from last year, the Teen Titans. Oh yeah, yeah. That that one. I mean, that was exceptionally dopey, uh, and it made this one <laughs> look much more serious in comparison. But uh, well, the story yeah, between this was, that this one. I'm sorry. The, the overall, this was fun. You know, it, it's simple, kind of you know, overly simplistic, but you know, gives a good message, and it, it was cool as far as I was concerned. Cool. So, Bill, what'd you think, Bill? Yeah. <laughs> Bill doesn't like Christmas or Epcot. Epcot. Epcot at Christmas. Epoch, that was it. Experimental prototype Christmas City of Tomorrow. <laughs> so you, you didn't you didn't care for this one, Bill? No, I didn't say that. I, I Did thought it make it... you feel more Christmassy and warm all over from from your chubby little toes to the top of your head? Yeah, warm all over is probably just, you know, the onset of some other ailment I have. So. <laughs> High blood pressure. High blood pressure, yeah. Did I take my mess? Oh my god! What are you doing, Alvin? Sorry. Christmas song. Christmas song. So, of course, I take the Lord's name in vain. Great. Get off of there. God, he almost knocked over the printer. Stupid cat. Go, get out. Go, go, go. Shoot. Down, down, down. Go, go, go. Mine, mine, mine. Oh, my God. (laughs) He was sitting on the printer, and he leaned over, and the whole printer tilted with him. That's why I was like, oh, my God. Whoa. (laughs) Stupid cat. Not to let him out. (laughs) Now I totally lost my train of thought. Uh, yeah, Alvin was like the kid falling out of the out of the window. You know, he he saved his plane. He's got it in the last uh, picture, even though that plane should have just like smashed down to the street. <laughs> Stupid kid! What are you throwing out the window for anyway? Oh, I don't know. He was just throwing it. You know, because kids are dumb and they don't realize what it costs for it. You know, because kids just you know, hey. It's, hey, I didn't pay for it, so I might as well break it. So Yeah, exactly. I'm oh, sorry. Did I say that out loud again? So I'm grateful, so, little bastard. So terrible. I'm so terrible at, at Christmas. So Don't come sucking up to me now, cat. <laughs> going to break my printer. Well, so, are we ready for grades on this? Uh, I'll, uh... Uh... I was just noticing that Freddy was pulling. Was he actually? No. So that's just a, a representation of something that didn't. Does he ever actually pull a sleigh in the? No. No. That's what I was looking to see. If, no. No. That is an I- interesting shot, though. Yeah. I, I do like that. But I was um, noticing if oh. you look at Santa's sleigh right there, though. I was noticing. Look how cramped up he is in there. He's got no room. He can't extend his legs all the way. His back's in an unnatural position. He's it's, he's got to have back problems. I would it's imagine. It's not a ergonomically sound sleigh. It is, is what not you're ergonomically sound. 
Yeah. And it's probably sitting on a wood bench and he's getting roids, you know. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Look at the, the bag the bag that's supposedly a bag full of toys back behind him looks, it looks like, like, it's like a firewood. Bag full of kindling wood or something. Yeah, exactly. What a bunch well, of friendly toys. That'll teach those kids. <laughs> Santa couldn't afford coal, so here's a stick of wood to throw on the fire. <laughs> you well it was the Depression era, wasn't it? Forty six? No. Yeah. Well, no. So, uh, oh, I oh. guess I was supposed to be grading. Well, uh, we can't really grade the cover, so we'll just go with. Yeah, the we open. can. You can well, grade the cover of. of uh, I was going to just DC twenty two. Uh, it does, it do does the have opening Captain Marvel like, Junior on it. Uh, yep. True. Uh-huh. And it's Christmassy. I like that Batman and Robin are holding the wreath. And then everybody else is crouched down behind it inside the wreath. That's a pretty that's, cool that's shot. Superman, that's Batman Robin. and Superman, but okay. Why? What did I say? Batman and Robin. Oh, man. I don't know. Whatever. Batman, Superman. Yeah, same thing. Batman, Super Robin. I don't know. Robin <laughs> Man. Robin Man and Bat. Bat or whatever. I like I'm, the way Batman I'm just is tired, all right? I'm not, I'm not totally thrilled with the way Superman is. Yeah, he looks a little funny. Like he, he's like he looks super stiff. boy with Superman's body. His face looks yeah. a little funny. Yeah, you get away from the cat. Get away from the shredder. I need a cat. Captain Marvel Junior looks like he's about seven years old too. He looks a little <laughs> funny, but the rest of it I like. It, I, it is a good cover. Mm-hmm. You know what? I do like that behind the wreath when you see everybody in the center of it, you do see their legs down at the bottom. Right. <laughs> You know, it doesn't just omit that. Which, if I were drawing it, I would have gotten lazy and I would have omitted it. So, <laughs> God, they don't cre- need I give them credit for yeah. not being as lazy as I would have. Leg schmegs, as long as they're in the picture. A lot of negative space, though. Points off for that. Yeah, you they should have had the Christmas trees back there. Should have been a winter setting. Yeah, it should have been like a roaring fireplace or something. I give it a, I give it a B, B for the cover. B, B for my uh, illegitimate brother Bob. <laughs> for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, consider yourself lucky. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, for the interior art, yeah, I mean, judging for the time frame of the story, uh, you know, versus what we have today, I'll give it a. Uh, Mm, I think I'll give it another B. And the story, you know, yeah, it's uh, the meeting of Christmas, blah, 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 blah melting the, the hardened hearts. Uh, yeah, I guess Speaking I'll give it hardened a, hearts. I'll give it a B. So it's bah humbug B for Bill. <laughs> B's all around. All right, well, uh, I like the cover on this one. Uh, it is a little wonky in some aspects. Some of the anatomy is a little strange and all, but uh, overall, I, I dig it. I'm going to give it a B minus just for because of all the negative space in it. Uh, the actual Captain Marvel story, um, yeah, as you say, Paul. In regards to the art, I really like the art, but I really like the art as compared to other Golden Age art. Um, by modern art standards, yeah, it really doesn't hold up. But in comparison with other stuff coming out, you know, I, I was going to say around this time, but I'm no Golden Age expert. I'm just talking Golden Age in general, the Golden Age. I generally don't care for what I see in Golden Age comics. It it generally looks really 
just really poor and and not well designed but this is pretty rich i mean it's 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 well filled in it's you know as you say there's still problems often with the anatomy and such but i'm struck by the detail in it um that scene where uh freddie freeman's in his crappy little digs there i mean look at the detail in that it's it's really well done so i like that aspect of it and i like the the figure work of captain marvel jr himself i just think he looks cool um but i mean beyond that it's not the kind of artwork I'd re- want to read for you know, every comic either. And the mobsters, it's weird because I think Captain Marvel Jr. and the people of the town and the orphans or everything, they're drawn in a fairly realistic, almost like a classics illustrated style or something. But then the mobsters are all weird and cartoony like Jack Cole or something. So it's really strange. Uh, it's, a, it's a weird mix how the, how the bad guys... Did Jack Are, Cole do Dick Tracy? Because that's kind of what I thought they looked like. He did. Uh, I don't know if he ever did Dick Tracy, but he did Plastic Man. And that's kind of... Oh, okay. Especially that one, you know, the panel you guys were laughing about where they're roughing up hard John. I mean, that's... <laughs> they're very, you know, doughy looking, very elastic looking. And that's what really reminded me a lot of, uh, of Plastic Man, of Jack Cole stuff. But, you know, that said, it, it was okay. It was. I think it was easier to follow art-wise than a lot of other stuff I've seen from this general time period, and I think that's one of the reasons I really liked it. Um, so art-wise, I think I would give it a... Uh, I think I'll go also a B-minus on this. It could be better, but generally I really liked it a lot, um, art-wise. The story, the story I thought was pretty good. I mean, yeah, it's a little dopey, but there aren't near the holes and, and the ridiculousness and the vast leaps in logic and everything that I often associate with a Golden Age story. This was fairly straightforward, and it wasn't it wasn't too dopey. I mean, really, the only thing that kind of made me scratch my head in this one was light-fingered Louie going to the mob to solicit donations, and they're very forthcoming about that. That struck me as a little bit weird. I thought they'd, you know, in a, in a more realistic story, they'd you know, shoot him or kick his ass or tell him to get out of there or something, but they're all like, yeah, here's some money for the orphans. That, what a great idea. And I'm like, huh? So, I don't know. Maybe maybe he told them that you know, Captain Marvel was, he was working with Captain Marvel Jr. and they'd been roughed up by him in the past or something. I, I don't know. It just kind of struck me as odd. But anyway, um, story-wise, I think I would give the story a, uh, I think I'll also go a B- on the story. So B- all around for this one. Not a bad book at all. It was it was kind of fun. Or bad story, I mean. So it was okay. okay. Uh, as far as the cover goes, I think we kind of co- covered it, no pun intended. Uh, I think it's overall it's pretty good, but it just seems like it could be a little better. So I'm, I'm going to say a B minus on the cover. Uh, the artwork inside, I'm willing to kind of give it more points because of the time it was done in. Again, you know, if it was done now, I, I don't think I'd be quite so generous. But I think one of the things I'm seeing here uh, is that. It actually seems to have like storytelling and pacing to it, which is something that I don't think I see in Golden Age books most of the time. Most of the time, the right. Golden Age books just kind of seem like they're thrown together, and I think that's one of the reasons why they're so hard to follow art-wise. Right. You know that, and and just you know some of the cartoonish nature of some of the things that are drawn there. Um, 
So I'm, I'm going to say just a, a regular B on the uh, interior art. I think it's it's better than a B minus. Uh, it could be a B plus if you're comparing it to a lot of the other Silver Age stuff, but uh, I'm, I'm going to go with B. Uh, and the story, it's dopey, but I don't think it's any dopier than most Christmas stories that I've read, whether they're Golden Age or beyond. So I almost feel like this book is very advanced for the time it came out. So I'm going to say a B for the uh, story as well, and I'm going to give it overall a B. Cool. And and I agree with you, not a bad story at all, all things considered. So with that, I'm going to bring us much more into the modern times, because I'm going to February of... Uh, I don't have this written down, I'm sorry. It's February of 1991. But I assume it came out in December of 1991 because it's a Christmas book. That's not that modern. It's well compared to 1946. It is. Well, maybe for uh, us, not for you. Oh, 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 oh. Anyways, Doctor Bill, if I was down in Florida, what I wouldn't. Um, well, you I'm wouldn't give the incredible, incredible Hulk number 378, written by Peter David, pencils by Bill Jaska. Uh, inks by Jeff Olbrecht, letters by Joe Rosen, colors by Glynis O'Connor, edited by what? Bobby Chase, Janice Oliver, did I say O'Connor? Yeah. I don't know where, where I'm getting that from, but okay. And uh, it says Tom DeFalco, Santa Claus, Santa's helper, Kurt Busiek. I don't know exactly what they did in the book, but I'm guessing they helped it along at some point. So the cover of it shows the Hulk the Grey Hulk, uh, in battle with a department store Santa Claus who's holding a, uh, a crowbar. And it says, because you demanded it, the most requested villain of all. The two of them are, looks like they're crashing out of a window at one of the upper floors, but it looks like they're still inside the mall. So uh, I'm not sure where that window is, maybe a storefront or whatever. And the story opens up at a hospital where, in a, in a children's ward where Kids are kind of getting on each other's nerves and chasing each other around. And an emaciated and drug addict looking Rick uh, Jones bitch comes by and he's telling the kids to stop fighting and he's going to tell them a story. And then in a in shot there, he looks like he's ready to pass out and the kids are holding him up. And he tells a story about the rhino. And uh, it takes place, to, it starts off, and he says it's about a year ago. So who knows with Marvel's timeline how long before this would be to the story that's coming out at this point, or the stories that are coming out at this point. Uh, so it shows, shows the Hulk sitting in a, in a uh, in an alleyway behind a dumpster and looks like he's eating a hero or something. And uh, some bums come along and he's, he's bemoaning that uh, he's stuck in this stupid identity. He's got no money, no prospects, no friends except other super villains and they never want to talk about football or broads or anything except uh, fighting superheroes. Oh, my life mean, is in the sewer. You mean the rhino because you said the Hulk. Did I say the Hulk? Yeah. I'm all over the place. I'm sorry. The rhino. This is what I get when I don't uh, when I don't when I don't prepare my uh, my uh, synopsis. <gasps> I, tu- I turn it's into like, con. This is like a bill synopsis. Yeah. Well, that's what I said. Turns a synopsis. Maybe we should call that so, <laughs> so they so the, t- the two guys run away and they say before that ugly gray monster comes after us and they run right into the Hulk 
boys in his gray. I don't know if he's Mr. Fix-It at this point or just gray or whatever, but he's uh, he scares them off. And the rhino is kind of cowering because the Hulk beats him up all the time. He even says, great, great, now the Hulk's in town. And if I do anything as the rhino, he'll be all over me. He'll probably beat me just like before. I'm so depressed. Grow is fine. So the, the rhino spies a, uh, a Santa Claus. I guess it's a Salvation Army Santa Claus outside collecting money. And uh, he, he kind of steals his outfit and takes over for him. But then a uh, man from the department store comes out and says that they need him to take over for their Santa Claus. And he finally he gets convinced. He goes inside. He sits on the Santa's throne, which promptly breaks underneath him. He's, he's getting all choked up because the kids are cheering for him. And then he, he breaks this chair and they all laugh at him, which is a nice moment. Uh, the kid, so first kid that gets on him has got a Spider-Man t-shirt and says, I want all the superhero action figures. He even says Batman, Superman, Spider-Man, Captain America. And, and the Rhino asks him, don't you want any super villain action figures? Maybe like the Rhino toy. So uh, who needs villains? They just get beat up all the time and they're dumb and ugly. So he's, he, the Rhino's ready to throw him across the room and the, uh, the kid grabs him by the, helm, by the hat and realizes who he is because he's got the horn underneath it. And his mother drags him off and he's saying that the Rhino is there. And just at that point, Rick Jones, who's looking like a uh, boy band uh, superstar at this point, is there with Clay Quartermain and Rick Jones and, uh, and Bruce Banner. And they hear what's going on, so they go over and they approach the Rhino. And the Hulk, Bruce Banner rather, runs into the bathroom and turns into the Hulk after he throws some guy out of the uh, stall. Who does number two work for? Oh, sorry. So, the Rhino's continuing to work as Santa, and the kids are just kind of getting on his nerves. One kid go comes up and gives him the double fingers in the eyes. Boink. And he tells him, uh, yeah, I bet you're a supervillain, because supervillains are big and dumb and ugly, and no one's bigger or dumber or uglier than you. <laughs> and the kid, the kid kicks him, and he's yelling out about his foot, and he takes the kid and throws him, but the Hulk catches him. And then he and the uh, Rhino get into a throwdown for a while. Two of them are just, just stop beating on each other. And then there's, there's some cool funny moments in here, because they're fighting, and then a woman comes over. She just baked, uh, she's from, what is it, Donna's, Donna Shragas Exquisite, excuse me, Exquisite Cookies. And she comes over with a tray of cookies, and the Rhino looks at it and says, hmm, these macadamia nuts? <laughs> and he slams the tray, says, I hate macadamia nuts. <laughs> And then the two of them start fighting again. They end up in a bowling alley. And they just keep going at it. And then uh, eventually uh, Rick Jones, Bitch, and Clay Quartermain get involved. And then the Hulk comes after him. He's wearing the, uh, the hat and beard for the Santa Claus costume. Ugh. The two of them just keep going at it. And then eventually, just as they're about to really... You know, actually, just at the point where the, where, uh, the Rhino is about to win, because he, he actually takes the Hulk down and penetrates his stomach with his horn, and he's, he's just about to land what could be a killing blow, when a little girl with huge eyes comes over and starts saying about, uh, 
that that Santa's supposed to help people, and that uh, was it. My mommy said you aren't really Santa, but maybe you aren't. Was said you were really Santa, but maybe you aren't. Maybe there isn't any Santa after all. And mommy lied, and that makes the two of them just kind of makes their hearts melt. So uh, Rhino says, "Yeah, he he was just being naughty. That's why I was beating on him." And the two of them, uh, to make the little girl happy, they spend the rest of the day acting as Santa while the Hulk acts as his elf. <laughs> and that's the end of the story. And then, then it cuts back to Rick Jones, who's telling the story, the you know emaciated drug addict Rick Jones. And the kid, kid just kicks him in the shin and he goes hopping off. Merry Christmas. That's my kind of now, Christmas. <laughs> I hadn't read this one before today either. Uh, just like the previous book, and but I did. I have to say, when I read this, I did laugh out loud a couple of times. And I've always said, making people laugh out loud with written words is not easy. I mean, this does have the images as well, and the art style, which I don't think I would like in a traditional superhero story, I think lends itself to this pretty well because the story is silly. Uh, it looks to me almost like this. Uh, was it Bill Jaska? Is kind of like a Todd McFarlane wannabe. Yeah. But a, even a little sillier, especially the way he draws the, the rhino. Mm-hmm. He's kind of over-exaggerated. Yeah, but I found it very good for this particular story. And, and like I said, I laughed at this story. Uh, overall, I found it enjoyable. And then I, I started thinking about it like from a more serious point of view of, like, you know, really, did this really happen? Was the rhino sitting there crying to himself? But then I took it from the point of view of this is being told from Rick Jones' perspective. And it's being told to little kids. So this may not actually be a an accurate telling of what went on. This, in fact, it could be totally made up for all we know. By Rick Jones, bitch. I like where uh, the kid grabs the rhino's horn underneath the hat. And um, I could just see Scott saying this. Listen, kid. You breathe a word, and I'll give you ho, 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 right up the wazoo. Get it? <laughs> Got it. Good. What did you guys think of this? That was good. I liked it. Still did it get you in the Christmas spirit? I still don't like Christmas. Bah, humbug. <laughs> it's, it's Bill Humbug. Not that I don't like Christmas. I just don't like the phony people. Oh, uh, looks like the Hulk's gonna get some from like some type of redhead there at the end of the. Uh, there's a oh yeah, she was sneaking up behind him, when the towards the it, end of the book where the rhino's sitting there, the kids on his lap, and Hulk's standing there with a candy cane in his hand. Mm-hmm. And then you see there's like a woman in like a Santa outfit coming up behind the Hulk, and then two panels later, she's uh, looks like she's I don't know what she's getting ready to do there. She's either gonna kiss him or scream. I don't know. <clears throat> She's, it looks to me like she's looking for some mistletoe. Uh-huh. Yeah, what a rotten bunch of kids. <laughs> but that's what makes the story fun. Yeah, I was looking what did you to, think, Scott? I was looking to see what else this guy had done because his, his art style looked vaguely familiar to me. It was kind of tickling my brain. And brain. He, what is brain? he doesn't have much of a much of a resume, at least according to to Mike's Amazing World. He'd come over from um, from First Comics, where he'd been working on Sable, 
Mm. And he did a few things for, you know, just a handful of things for Marvel and DC before he did this book. And then a few more things. And then eventually wound up on uh, New uh, New Titans between issues uh, 100 and 113. And that looking at that stretch, that's where it kind of clicked, where I'd seen this guy before. Because right at the very end of uh, of New Titans, the art really took a turn, and I and I really didn't care for it. Now I think part of it was inkers that he was teamed up with, but uh, I really didn't care for for the art. And I don't I could be wrong, but I don't think it was much longer after his run on New Titans that the book. Let me see. His last issue was one thirteen, and the book tanked at one thirty. So. Yeah, it was right at the very tail end. Um, not some of the more memorable issues, and actually, as a matter of fact, some of the honestly some of the worst art that the book had um, in its in its long run. But it's weird because the the art here, which is earlier, is actually better than that, which was only just a short while later. Because this is what year? This is nineteen ninety one, and that. Mm-hmm. Titan stuff was in 93 and 94 so I know it's kind of odd but the very last thing credited to him at least you know on Mike's site was uh, Turok Dinosaur 100 number 23 in 95 and then he just kind of disappeared so he has a very small body of work between 87 and 95 so I just thought that was kind of interesting because the name didn't really ring a bell but the art style definitely looked familiar to me as something I'd seen before you said you you thought he was aping a McFarlane style, and that could be, you know, to a certain degree as far as the Hulk, you know, the Hulk figure himself, because of course Carl, you know, McFarlane really came to fame drawing this Joe Fixit incarnation of the Hulk. But his style in this more reminded me of um, a DC artist whose name I cannot remember. He he. Bart Sears, I th- yeah, Bart Sears. He did uh, uh, early issues of uh, Justice League Europe. If you remember when the Justice League, they had several different teams, and there was the one with like Metamorpho, and I can't remember what other members there were, but I remember Bart Sears Metamorpho in particular. Right. And there's panels of this that really remind me of that. But I, again, I don't know if he's purposely aping it, but it, it really was very reminiscent of that to me. So I think his art style, I don't think it's bad. I just, I think it actually lends more to what DC was doing at this very same time than what Marvel was doing at this very same time. Um, I have to be honest that while I don't think it's bad, I don't like it either. Um, There's really not a shot of the Hulk in the entire book that I like. He, He looks deformed or something he looks really weird now granted the joe fixit incarnation looked kind of strange too but there's there's really there's honestly not a a shot uh of the hulk and the whole thing that i that i like that he just looks bizarre and kind of creepy to me um as far as the story goes it it was okay i mean it's it's kind of your standard dumb christmas story in a lot of ways but I will give it points because, as you say, you know, writing something that actually makes you laugh out loud is pretty damn tough. And while I found most of this story pretty groan-worthy, there, it has to be pointed out. Page 15, where the Hulk charges in, 
and says, step aside, kid. And the kid goes, who are you? And the Hulk just says, the spirit of fractures yet to come. That cracked me <laughs> up. That's actually pretty damn funny. That was clever. So points for that. But the rest of it, it was like, eh. And this issue, I think, is a great illustration of something that Peter David... Uh, this happens a lot in comics, or it used to happen a lot in comics. But if, if, I, if memory serves, I think... Peter David did this a lot where he has in jokes to something that you really have to be up on both him as a as a comics professional but also him personally to kind of get the jokes and some of them frankly just went right over my head and that tends to annoy me when I feel like I'm pretty up on my comic book stuff yet I still don't get the joke that annoys me and the thing with the with the woman with the cookies, I really felt like I was supposed to get the gag on this, and I, I didn't. I don't know what the hell he's referencing here, but he's referencing something. Because well, I think it's just an you know like people give, doing samples in the uh, in the mall or something because I think they're in a mall. But so, but I mean, just the fact that she gives a very specific first and last name, kind of the way she's presented, and then. That might have been when, a friend of his. You, you never that's know. What that's what I'm saying. And then when the fight goes down, she says, Stephen, get me out of here. Well, who the hell is Stephen? We, do we even get a Stephen anywhere referenced here? So that's what makes me think, think so. this is a very specific reference to something that that we're either supposed to get or, or it's so in-joke that only a few people were ever going to get it. I, I'm not sure, but one way or the other, I just find that sort of thing kind of annoying. Well, what's with yeah? I, I, I tend to agree with you. I think when you're going to put in Easter eggs or in jokes or something, you have to make them subtle enough so that if you're not in on the joke, it's not going to make you scratch your head. Right. Exactly. And so, well, what's with the that, two guys looking at the comic cover in the comic book store? I, I was going to talk about that, so I looked that up because I thought I knew what they were referencing, and I was right. Now I'd never. Um, I never watched Lost in Space, so I couldn't tell you what the Jupiter Two looked like because the, the it's, reference. It's a flying for saucer. Uh, for the for the listeners, is you've got a couple of geeks standing in a comic shop, and one of them is pointing to the book the other one's holding, and he says, "See right there." He says, "When you look carefully at the rocks on the cover of Trek number fifteen, you see the words Lost in Space." So, DC's and remember, this is a Marvel book we're talking about. DC's Star Trek second series, the Prestige format, or not Prestige format, but the um, I think it was on Baxter paper. Um, God, what did they call that format? Deluxe format? I think it was deluxe format is what they called it. Um, the deluxe format run, volume two, essentially number fifteen, was guest written by Bill Mooney from Lost in mm. Space. And on the cover of that, hidden in the rock work, and some of the letters are turned around and stuff like that. But if you if you read oh, it, it does lost in space. And then it the other kid's saying, You're right. And back there is the Jupiter 2's outline. Well, I looked up the Jupiter 2, which as Bill says is basically just a flying saucer. I couldn't find that. I don't know where that is, if it really is there. But yeah, clearly the Lost in Space thing was on there, and I thought that was kind of cool, because I don't know that I actually ever noticed that before. So that was kind of neat. But yeah, that's what they were talking about in that one. That is kind of cool, and it's... I mean, I guess it's also an inside joke, but, you know, it's a little bit more accessible. 
Well, at least with that one... You could look it up. You could look it up. You could go, well, you know, is this a reference to when Peter David wrote Star Trek? And yes, it was. So then it became a matter of, okay, which series is it? And then just looking up the cover. Which, again, you know, back in... What was this, 91? You know, is, is that... You know, that's, that wasn't as easy as just plugging it into Google, you know? Whereas now it is. So that... You know, at the time, may have fallen into kind of the same realm as the as the woman with the cookies, for all I know. But I don't know. At but least the that different, w- the difference is that that issue of uh, of Star Trek, I think, came out in 1991. Ah, okay. I, I hadn't thought about that. So they were they were concurrent, essentially. Mm-hmm. There you go. That makes a little more sense. So it's it's not so esoteric when it's not. 26 years ago. Right. Was it just me, or does Banner's outfit look like a Green Lantern outfit? That's he what looks, I, he I looks I like was, Guy Gardner or something. Yeah, when he first shows, I didn't even realize that was him at first. I was like, who? why is the Green Lantern in this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure exactly what... Because this is a flashback story, if it's even true, to a time when... Rick Jones and Bruce Banner were traveling around with uh, with Clay Quartermain. Now, this is where I came in to the story because I got hooked on the Joe Fixit uh, Hulk by the the issue that had the cover where you see the Hulk reflected in Wolverine's claws. And in that one, that was the very beginning of this era of the Hulk, where they were traveling around in essentially like the mystery machine, but it was a shield vehicle, like a shield, like a like a mobile tank type of thing. But this is who it was. It was it was Banner, Jones, and and Clay Quartermain. So that's right where I came in. Um, so this would be um, prior to the uh, the Joe Fixit stuff and all this. This would be prior to him getting getting, you know, seemingly blown up saving that town, right before he he disappeared for a time and then came back and was uh, was Joe Fixit. But wh- when exactly this is, I don't know, and how you could squeeze it in, I don't know because to my memory, there were no real gaps in that story. I, I didn't think because he- when, when I. Did a little bit of research on this. They placed it somewhere around books that were coming out around 1986. Right. So you know, for what that's worth, I, I don't know exactly where it would fit in. I didn't. I didn't look to the, see what books came out that year and what the storyline was exactly. Right. But that's where uh, I don't remember which site, maybe Comics Vine. That that's where they estimated it. I gotcha. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess as you know, if if there's any gaps in the story, um, I guess you could squeeze it in there somewhere. I just don't remember it being. I remember it being pretty much, you know, e- each issue continued into the next one. So I thought, but I, again, I could be wrong. It's been a while since I've read all that stuff. That's something I'm really uh, overdue to go back and look at again because I've long been curious both how do the stories hold up, but more importantly, how does the art hold up. Because I was so taken with that back then. I mean that you know it's it's what made me pick up the book off the off the stands to begin with, just being struck by the cover. But then the the art was just such a breath of fresh air and everything. It, it made me not only a McFarlane fan but a fan of the Hulk. You know, especially the the Gray Hulk and everything. And I loved that stuff. I ate it up. But 
you know, it's been what twenty something years now, so or no, thirty, right? Yeah, eighty well, since nineteen eighty six. Yeah, yeah, one years. So I don't. Coming up I on thirty two. Yeah, I have no idea how that stuff would hold up today. I, I really have no idea. I'd have to go back and uh, and take a look. I, I have a feeling it probably wouldn't because when I look at stuff from that era now. Um, you know, specifically the McFarlane and, and McFarlane imitator stuff. It just, I think, because of the over imitation of it a few years later in the '90s, it just it soured me on the whole damn look, if you know what I mean. But I don't know. I'd be I'd be curious. One of these days, I'll I'll have to go back and and really dig into that. But at the time, I loved it. I thought it was some damn good stuff. And that's our show. That's okay. While you were talking, I was looking up movie uh, totals. <laughs> oh, okay. What are you What are you looking at specifically? I, I, I was curious because I was I saw an article saying that there were shakeups at DC after Justice League stumbled, and I was like, really? I didn't think it was doing that bad. And then I looked and I compared it to the Thor box office. I was like, oh yeah, okay, it did do kind of bad. you really shake it up and fire everybody? That would really make me happy. Well, Thor has after... Uh, now, how long has it been in release? Uh, 34 days. And it's got $820 million worldwide. And Justice League... that. Justice League has... Now, it's only been out 20 days, so Thor's got two weeks on it. And it's got five hundred and seventy-three million. So I mean, it's it's made half a billion, but you uh, know, that's that's the crowning achievement of. No, from what I heard, it has to make nine hundred million in order to break even. Well, you ain't getting. If you're talking internationally, I'm I'm talking oh, worldwide. Just to, that's what it just is. Just to break even. Yep. Oh, well, oh, because it's. Got, I don't know if that's if that number is accurate or not, but that's the number I've heard. Because, you know, when you get to international markets, their take on it is significantly lower than it is local. Mm, so, wow. Uh, and, and the money, you know, they spent on it, plus the money that, you know, what their take is and whatever. You know, it's, it's like I said, it's $900 million, I heard. All I know is I made the right call because somebody posted online. I saw it today. Somebody posted, this was my favorite scene in the movie, and it was the fight scene. And I watched that and was just absolutely just appalled. So I... I Superman fight scene? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I thought that was awesome. The Superman fight scene I thought was great. There are little kids that are going to grow up and th- and think that that's Superman, and that makes me sick. It just makes me sick in the pit of my stomach. It, it, the, the, no, you know? If you want to do that down the road somewhere, you know, where there's a, a story where he goes bad or whatever, but, you know, I mean... No, but he didn't go bad. He was, he was disoriented. Yeah. He just woke up from a freaking death. I guess. I don't know. It just, it really... Yeah, you, you I don't, don't want to wake me up in the morning when I'm not, you know, like... I'm scary, man. I'll take you down. I just, I don't, I just don't like the whole grim and gritty thing applied to him. I just don't. It, it bothers. See, me. I didn't think in this movie, I didn't think the grim and gritty thing was applied to him. Did you not see the look it. that he was given the Flash? That's that's also when he when the Flash is trying to run by and he looks, he stares at him. 
That's great. Yeah, it's a creepy death stare, like, I'm going to murder you look. I have not seen this scene. Oh, yeah, I, 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 just, I, I have you no know, comment. Picture somebody coming out of anesthesia and the way they're all disoriented. That's the way he was supposed to be at that moment. Oh, I guess. Well, yeah, but I wasn't going to fight anybody. I was wanted to love everybody. Yeah, hey, I feel great. Then I realized I'm really painting, like, about two hours later after the kidney stone surgery. Oof. want to relive that again. In lighter news, Brian Singer has been accused of raping a 17-year-old boy in 2003. That's eh, just some lighter news. Nice. Ah, yeah, yeah. Ah, who knows? He was accused of something like that a, a while back, and they that, never did anything But that case about was dropped because the guy that brought it was kind of questionable. Uh, because the guy was... The guy had his own, you know, shady past that was brought to light. And he had to apologize. So, hmm. sorry, I accused you of raping. I'm sorry, I accused you of raping me. I'm not sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so it's nice. It's nice that Hulk. you should rate the Hulk. It's nice that you could just. Paul knew exactly where I was going with that, and he just picked it right up and ran with it. Thank you so much. Happy to run with you, buddy. Okay. So we should rate the Hulk. Das Hook. Uh, it's funny, I, you know. I, I don't know. You know, you you looked him up. This uh, Bill Jaska. Yes. The cover. I don't like the individual renderings. I don't like the Hulk's face at all. It looks kind of monkeyish. Uh, yeah, I, and I'm not even sure. I, I'm not even crazy about them falling out of the window the way they are, but. It's definitely intriguing, and I think if I was at the newsstand that I saw this, I would probably want to pick it up. <laughs> so I'm going to give it more points for appeal than I am for actual artwork, and I'm going to give it a B. Uh, the interior art, if this was not a silly story, if this was a traditional book, I think I would probably not like it at all. But... With the nature of the story, the comedy aspect of it, I think the art fits the story fairly well, so I'm also going to give that a B. And the story, you know, it's dumb, but it's fun, and it's funny. So I'm going to give the story a B plus, and I'm going to give the book overall a B. Hmm. Uh, on the cover, I just noticed, you know, there's a like a there's a price sticker on the crowbar yeah, that the rhino's holding? The sale nine ninety nine. I wonder if that's really what crowbars cost. Maybe back in nineteen ninety one. Yeah, this is an interesting cover. Hulk fighting Santa. Yeah. Plus, it's got that McFarlane-ish touch to it. So, uh, I think I'd. Uh, although, you know what? Wow, I just noticed. Look at the box up in the left-hand corner. Look at the box. Look at the box. What's in the what box? The, the hell's wrong with the Hulk's arms? Somebody's guy needs to learn proportions. He, he lifted him up and then he went. <laughs> <laughs> that's, what he, that's what he looks like. I'm Popeye the Hulk man. I'm Popeye the Hulk man. Yeah, you need to just put a little anchors or battleships on his little biceps there. You know, have him shooting guns and stuff. So, um, but the. 
the corner box aside, I think I'll give the cover, uh, I'll give it a B minus. Um, the interior art, yeah, you got the emaciated Rick Jones. Well, you know, Rick Jones is trying to be the cool guy to the kids. But he just looks like a douche because he's Rick Jones. Douche, bitch. Um, the rhino's pretty sad looking. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, he's not still bonded to this costume, is he? No, I, I, in fact, I don't think he ever was. I think he just thought he was. Oh, I think that's that, that's what the story <laughs> turned out to be. Are you, are you <laughs> I couldn't find a zipper. That's hysterical. There was definitely that, that story was either him or the scorpion at some point like thought they were totally bonded and couldn't get out of it and could. I don't remember which one. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, didn't the scorpion, wasn't he like did undergo some treatment for a disease that kind of bonded him with the suit or something? The clap. He had the clap. <laughs> Clap on. I mean, they've totally changed the rhino around since this time because now he's Alexei, whatever, some Russian guy. Like, he wasn't presented what? as being a Russian guy back then. Is it Alexei Luthor? Yeah. Alexei Luthor. And he's fabulous. Oh. <laughs> um, send all hate mail to the guy that doesn't like Christmas or Epcot. <laughs> Especially Epcot at Christmas. And keep your oh. wine and flower and keep your wine and flower festival too. No, I'm just oh, I'm just trying to dick. push your button, Scott. <laughs> All right, it's it, it's working. Put on a blanker. Uh, I'm gonna give the interior art. Uh, I'm gonna give it a B minus, and the story for its laugh out loudness, like we said, and and. So, although there is, like you said, Scott, kind of some deep moments. Like you're like, should I know this person? This is getting pretty uh, deep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Too deep. I think I'm gonna give it a B. So hey, it's another triple B book for Bah Humbug Bill. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's see. Cover on this. Well, I think it's very telling that uh, of my very few gaps in my run of Hulk from this era, this is one of them. So <laughs> evidently I saw this one on the stand and said, nah, I don't think I need that issue. Um, the Hulk's mouth looks uh, like he's got a dislocated jaw on the cover. So, yeah, he just looks freakish. Um, I, I don't care much for the cover on this. So I I think I'm going to go a C- minus on the cover. I'm really not too crazy about it. Um, interior art. Yeah, interior art. I think I'm going to go much the same. I just, I just really don't care for this art style much at all. Um, I'm, I'm not sure what he's going for here. I don't know if this is his actual art style or he's imitating somebody or what, but I really didn't care for it. So again, I think I'll go C minus because I mean it's. It's not that I can't follow it or anything. It's just I just don't think it's visually appealing. And the Hulk looks—he remind this Hulk reminds me of. Oh God, what was the name of that? That was it. Earth Earth X maybe where the mm. in the oh, future yeah, the, the little, Hulk was yeah, with the small little like kid. A, yeah. yeah, yeah, he had this small little like kid a on big his back. Gorilla. Yeah, I hated that. You know, I mean the the Hulk aspect of it. 
and I've seen the Hulk depicted that way before. There's times when in the even in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I think they make the Hulk a little too like gorilla-like or something. I don't like that. I don't. I, I don't. I've never understood where where people get that impression that he's like a, a gorilla or a big monkey or something. I, I don't like that. And there's a lot of this where I think he does look very ape-like or very gorilla-like, and I, I don't. I just don't care for it. So. I'll be generous and say a C minus, although I'm tempted to go even lower. Um, the story, you know, the story's a tough one because my biggest problem with this is I think I would, I, I, I feel like I was supposed to laugh through it, like I, like it was meant to be lighthearted and funny, but more of it just I thought was kind of, kind of dopey and. The thing with the references really bugged me because there's a there was a number of them and I just didn't get them so a lot of that was lost on me um, but it wasn't bad and I will give it big old points for the one moment that really did make me laugh out loud because the the spirit of uh, fractures yet to come really did crack me up I thought that was funny so I'll say uh, I'll say a B minus on the on the story. I'll be I'll be generous. So overall, though, um, I, I would average that out to to like a C. It's okay. It's it's average. I think it's an average Christmas story because most Christmas stories are eh, they're kind of whatever. They're kind of throwaway. And this was, I, I felt this was kind of in the same ilk. It's just kind of throwaway. I won't remember I feel like most of the Christmas stories kind of suck. So yep. when you get one that's that actually makes me laugh or smile, that that's superior in my opinion. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Well, you know, Peter David's run, as I recall anyway, Peter David's run on the Hulk was usually good for at least one good belly laugh per issue because especially the gray era Hulk, he did have some really good zingers, you know, some good one-liners and that sort of thing. And this one had at least one that really did crack me up. So there you go. I got my money's worth out of it. That'll do. So that's your Christmas gift. Aww. Yeah, that belly laugh was your Christmas gift. Oh, you cheap bastard. Yeah. Beats a full body search. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy, all rights reserved. Each and every month, the Two True Freaks Network produces dozens of new and exciting episodes which regularly reach tens of thousands of loyal listeners worldwide. Sponsorship and or advertising opportunities are available. Inquiries may be made via email to two true freaks at gmail.com. Please take a moment to stop by the two true site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Hey, hey, where's Paul? Yeah. Where's Paul?
He's gone. Where'd he go? Bah! Christmas! 